you ever do anything that you get so involved in you lose the track of time? Does that happen to anybody? I, I, I hope it happens to all of you occasionally, actually. I lose, I lose track of time sometimes when I'm swimming. Uh, I actually uh, just get into it and lose track of time. I lose track of time when I'm uh, flying a glider, when I'm in a good thermal and you're just, you're just flying. I've, uh, you know, hours can pass and you don't even realize it. I think that's the way the kingdom of God is. I think that's the way heaven is. When we are experiencing the kingdom of God, when we experience heaven, we don't have any concept of time. It just, it just disappears altogether. We are enjoying what we are involved in at the current time. There's some other things that I believe are not in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And among those are murder, lying, greed, covetousness, or anger, especially anger. There's no anger in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't exist there. This morning, uh, I want us to consider David and, and David's worst situation, his worst sin, and how he handled it, and take a look at his anger in the situation. We're, gonna, we're reading from 2 Samuel, the end of chapter 11, and part of chapter 12. And I would encourage all of you, even though I'm going to give the, the, the thumbnail, a brief synopsis of it, uh, I would encourage all of you to go home, read chapter 11, read chapter 12 of 2 Samuel this afternoon. Consider the word of the Lord. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David went and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. 
Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. For you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, Now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God who gives us your word to teach us how not to sin against you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Well, I guess so, right? I guess so. But what I would like for us to ponder for a few minutes this morning is how each of us really have done and continue to do what David did. You know, maybe not to the degree he did it, maybe not quite as egregious, but we still do the same thing. We see things, and, and, and we see things that we do as okay, but when somebody else does them, we get outraged, right? If there's anybody in here who's never done that, then don't listen to me. But, uh, but I believe it's pretty universal. And, and try as I might, I still continue to do it myself sometimes. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, at hand. What's at hand? This Bible right here is, is at hand. These flowers are at hand. At hand means it's right here. It's right here if we will accept it and practice it. But we don't. 
Now, I said I'd recap a little bit of chapter 11. I believe David's problem in this particular situation really started in what we read in chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1 says something like this. In springtime, when kings go out to war, David sent Joab, who is his general, his chief of staff, if you will, out to war. And David stayed in Jerusalem. What had David done? And this is the, the snowball effect. So many times when we put things in action in our lives that, sometimes, that may seem like small, more or less innocent things, but they're not necessarily. See, David was the king. It was his responsibility to lead his armies into battle. That's the way Israel did it. Read, read uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and over and over, many of the kings of Judah or Israel were killed in battle because they were out there leading their people. David was shirking his responsibility. And often we shirk our responsibilities and then we want to point the finger at somebody else. Which despite all the other bad things David did, that's really, that's really what he did here. So he, so he ignores his responsibility, so then he has the leisure to be up there strolling around his roof when Bathsheba takes a bath, right? If he had been out doing what he was supposed to be doing, the whole situation would have never come up, right? But he wasn't. And then, uh, of course, Bathsheba brings it home when she, with, the, uh, with that short little phrase, I'm pregnant, right? And uh, so David still, he's, uh, he's shirked his responsibility. He's committed adultery. He still wants to cover his sin. So he calls Uriah in, Bathsheba's husband, to try and, co and to, uh, to cover up his culpability in the situation, and Uriah doesn't play along. Uriah didn't go along with David's charade. So what does David do? It gets even worse. He's going he's gonna to commit murder at this point to cover up his sin. So, uh, wow, you know, I, every time I read this, it just, it just baffles me. Talk about low down, right? Uh, David writes a letter to Joab, gives it to Uriah to take back to him. So, so, uh, so he's taken his death sentence with him, and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it. But again... The thing that David did displeased the Lord. And the things that David did that displeased the Lord started out by David not assuming the responsibility he had been given. As Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 48, I'm sure most of you know it, right? To whom much is given, much is required. And make no mistake, much has been given to each and every one of us in here this morning, each and every one of us. Even if we don't think we've been given much, 
let me guarantee you, there's nobody in here that hasn't been given much. And we should be thankful for that. There are two cases, there are two particular situations I want to hone in on here about David's anger. The first one I didn't read about, it's in, it's in chapter 11, and depending upon the translation you read, some translations actually say that David was angry with Joab. Now David had told Joab to put Uriah in a situation in battle where he would get killed. Joab did that, and not only was Uriah killed, there were other innocent men. Can I say that? I'll scratch that remark. There's no such thing as an innocent man, right? Uh, there were other people that didn't deserve to be killed in that particular situation that were killed because of David's act. And it says David got angry at Joab because he had ordered the troops too close to the wall of the city. The other situation where David gets mad is when Nathan tells him the parable. And again, remember, just because something's a parable, just because something is fiction, doesn't mean that it can't relay a very, very important truth to us. See, this situation that Nathan told David was, was just, just something that he had made up, just a parable. And I also have to consider Nathan's courage, right? He's going to tell David what he's done. He's going to go rub David's nose in it, right? Man, that was a, he was a courageous man. He was a courageous man. So he tells David the story about the guy who, 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 the rich man who took the poor man's lamb and served it up for supper to his guest. And what does David say? He deserves to die. He deserves to die. Wow. And what does Nathan say? You are the man. Now, in both of these situations that we read about in, in, in chapters 11 and 12 here, David directs his anger at an external thing, some, something outside of himself. But through Nathan sharing with David God's righteous judgment and God's righteousness, David sees the light. He says... I have sinned. He didn't jump up and, and chop Nathan's head off with a sword or, or punch him in the nose or anything else. He realized what was going on. He said, I have sinned. And he goes on to write Psalm 51, verse 10 of which reads something like, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord and put a right spirit within me. Right? Put a right spirit within me. You see, David realized what Jesus had said one time. Y'all remember the, the, the time Jesus was casting out demons? And he told, he told people, he said, you know, when you cast out a demon, you need to put something else in there. 
Because if you don't put something else in there, the demon will come back with seven more to repossess the house. You see, it's not just enough. It's not just enough that we get forgiven, that we have clean, pure hearts. Those clean, pure hearts need to be filled with God's righteousness, with God's right spirit. This is what Jesus was trying to teach us so much, I believe, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, talking about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, and he's given us instructions. Jesus has given us very clear instructions on how we can manifest the kingdom of heaven. And when he starts giving these instructions, what's the first thing he hits upon there? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says something like, You have heard it said that you shall not murder. Right? But then he, and he goes on to say, he says, I tell you that you shouldn't even get angry. Right? That's what he said. You shouldn't even get angry. Because you see, there's no anger in the kingdom of heaven. And he's trying to teach us that. And he amplifies it. He said... If you get angry, you're liable to judgment. If you insult somebody, you might have to go before the council. And if you call somebody a fool, you're in jeopardy of hell. That's what Jesus said there. You see, murder is a bad thing, but it starts with anger. It starts with contempt. And Jesus is saying, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be in a place where you lose all track of time and all the other evil things that are around, then the first thing you have to do is you have to be rid of anger in all its forms. This morning, I suspect, I may be wrong, I often am, I suspect some of you may have some anger in your lives. I suspect further that that anger is blocking the full manifestation of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in your life. So if you fall in that category, the good news is God's grace is here and it's sufficient to remove whatever anger might be in you. And I pray that you receive that grace, you remove that anger, and you, you fill it with God's spirit of righteousness and mercy and love. Amen.